Good morning, everyone. I thought we would start this morning with a definition of a miracle. We're going to look at one of those stories that sometimes falls into the category of children's story, but it's more than that. And sometimes you hear at the feeding of the 5,000, you think, well, that's just for kids. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. And so let's unpack it a little bit today. A miracle is a supernatural event or happening regarded as an act of God. I would consider uh, this week, uh, we celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. That's a miracle. Uh, to find somebody to marry me, number one, is a miracle. Uh, that'll stay with me for 30 years, a miracle. So uh, today we're going to talk about uh, this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And the title of the message is, How to See God Move Powerfully in Your Life. And I chose this picture because it's from the Church of the Multiplication of Loaves and Fishes. It was built in about 350 A.D., and it's in Israel. That's kind of cool, that mosaic. I just like the way they do that kind of stuff. This is the most famous miracle apart from Jesus' resurrection. It's the only miracle that's found in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it makes a lot of sense that it would make it into all four Gospels because there were so many witnesses to it. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000 really would be much more like ten or 20,000 because the 5,000, they were just counting the men. And so it was 5,000 men, but there were also wives and children there. It's likely ten to 20,000 people were there. And Jesus takes this boy's lunch, and he feeds them all. And Jesus never did a, a miracle just to show off. What he did was he would do these miracles, but there are biblical principles behind them. And we have to understand that. There's something bigger than just the miracle itself. Yeah, the miracle was awesome, but it also teaches us some principles. And someday we're going to need a miracle in our lives. We're going to need God to move in a powerful way. This was a really powerful movement of God, and we're going to need that too someday. And it might be financially, it might be physically, it might be relationally. At some point in our lives, we're going to need Jesus to move powerfully. And so let's figure out, or at least let's sort of diagnose what happened in this story that we could apply to our lives when we need uh, God to move in a powerful way. So I'm going to read this for you, and then we're going to kind of break it down just a little bit in just a second. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they had seen the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And so he, Jesus garnered a crowd because he was doing these amazing things. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked him only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one of these to have just even a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go with so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There, were, there was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. It's really interesting. He did the same with the fish. And when they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. That's really a good principle in life, too. Don't waste things. So, they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over um, that they had eaten. 
This was a um, substantial problem. It was a huge problem, and problems need solutions. One thing about guys, we try to fix things. There's this group called Mensa. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but it's an organization, I'm going to read it to you, whose members score in the top 2% of IQ. It's kind of an egghead society. And I, I want to let you know that um, Pastor Chris and I, we, we've chosen not to be a part of Mensa because it seems a little elitist, uh, and they didn't invite us. Anyway, Mensa was having a, um, a conference in San Francisco, and they go to this diner. There are several of them that kind of go to a table, and they notice that there is, there's salt in the pepper shaker, and there's pepper in the salt shaker. And so now they, they have a challenge. They're kind of thinking through, okay, again, top 2% of the IQ uh, in America. And so they're, they're thinking through, okay, we want to, let's solve this dilemma of having salt in the pepper shaker and pepper in the salt shaker. What can we do to, to, to fix this? And so they, they think about it, and they don't want to really touch the stuff. And so how do we trans, uh, transport uh, the salt into the pepper shaker and the pepper into the salt shaker? And and they, they work on it, and they figure out finally how they're going to do it uh, using um, just the implements at hand. They're going to use uh, some napkins and things like that. And so uh, they come up with this really brilliant solution, and they call the waitress over, and they say, Ma'am, we couldn't help but notice that there's pepper in the salt shaker and salt in the pepper shaker. And she, before they could explain their solution to them, um, to her, uh, she just takes both bottles, she unscrews the caps and switches them, and she says, sorry about that. Problems need solutions, and sometimes we think we can outsmart God. And really, here's one of the basic principles of this whole message today. It's that um, sometimes the, the problem is so big that we need a God-sized solution. And that's what you have here today. This problem was huge. So what do we do if we want to see God move powerfully in our lives. Well, the first thing is this. I must admit I have a need. Look at what it says in Matthew 14. Again, this is found in all four Gospels. As the evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowd away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, um, it's simple enough to start with this idea that I have to admit I have a need. It seems simple, but often we we hide it, or we cover it up, or we blame others, or we pretend it's not there. And uh, we just sometimes need to absorb the full impact of the predicaments. And these people, I don't know about you, but I don't live with hunger. I, I don't know about hunger much. I mean, I get hungry before I eat lunch, and I get a little bit hungry before I eat dinner, and I get a little bit hungry before my midnight snack. I mean, I, I get a little bit hungry, but... I hardly ever go hungry. There's not many times I miss a meal. And when I do, I sort of think through, okay, well, this is what it feels like to be really, really hungry. Well, these folks were always really, really hungry. They lived a hand-to-mouth kind of existence. They weren't storing up a lot of excess because that just wasn't the, the environment they lived in. And so Jesus sees hungry people, and he has a plan to feed them. And I think about you know, our current state in our country. God sees spiritually hungry people. There's a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of anger and all that. Look, all, all those are issues with our heart and with sin. And Jesus knows that. I mean, he sees it. I'm praying for God to have a revival in our country. But the truth is, 
that God works best, and I, I like this, God works best in our lives when we ask Him to. Look at what Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. God works best when we admit that we have a need. This isn't an ego thing for God. He doesn't need us to. He wants us to understand that he's there to help us. Now, there are kind of three self-defeating attitudes that sometimes we fall into. Number one is we procrastinate. I don't know if you're a procrastinator, but um, did you notice it said as evening approached? Now, it's not as if you couldn't figure this out. We talk about it sometimes, playing the movie forward. If I do this, then this is likely to happen, and that's likely to happen, and I can figure out, okay, this action now will lead to other things. I'm going to play the movie forward. And Jesus had played the movie forward, but the disciples evidently hadn't. They had kind of procrastinated, and procrastination always makes matters worse. The second thing is we pass the buck. We blame someone else. Uh, the disciples said, hey, send these people away. I mean, we, didn't, we didn't recruit them. They just showed up. It's not like we invited them here. So their responsibility now is to find their own food. Uh, we, did, we didn't have anything to do with this. And so they should just find their own. They, it's not our fault. They should find their own food. And we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to, to sort of play the blame game. You know, it's not my fault. My dad did this. My mom did this. The government does this. It's somebody else's fault. And we need to own stuff. And even if it's not our fault, we still have a problem that we have to take care of. The third thing is we worry about it. If we prayed as much as we worried, we would be in great shape. But look what happens. Uh, the Bible tells me that I call. Uh, Jesus said, call on me. Or God said, call on me in the day of trouble. And I will rescue you, and I will honor you. And there's something to be said for the fact that God is with us, and he wants to protect us, and he wants to take care of us, and he promises to do that. And this was a logistical nightmare. Um, I remember the first time I went to a Promise Keepers event, and that was many, probably 20 years ago, maybe more than that. And it was in a big stadium, and there were 40, 30, 40, 50,000 men in this big stadium, and they were going to feed us lunch. And I was thinking to myself, how in the world are they going to feed us lunch? And I'll never forget, we, we are dismissed and we walk outside and there, there are rows and rows of tables with boxes, box lunches, stacks and stacks of box lunches. And I was amazed at the efficiency of how they fed so many of us. We, we walked down both sides of the table, we took our box lunch, at the end there was something to drink, we grabbed our drink and we went someplace to eat. Well... This isn't even possible when, when Jesus was around. And then Philip said, uh, eight months' wage wouldn't even, I mean, he did a little cost analysis. Eight months' wage wouldn't even give him a bite. There's so many people here, how are we supposed to even pay for this? What's really funny to me is the, the answer was they were looking for Colonel Sanders and Jesus was right there. They had seen him turn water into wine. They knew he could do stuff like this. They'd seen Jesus heal people born blind. It's not like they didn't have some experience with Christ. Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to admit you have a problem. The second thing you have to do is this. I determine what resources I have available. Look at what it says here. Jesus said to Philip, where shall we buy food for all these people? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Um, you have to figure out what do I have to give. Now, you might say, well, why did Jesus ask Philip? Well, Philip was from around there. 
And so it was natural. Hey, hey Philip, where are we going to go to feed these people? What do we need to do? The exact words are, where shall we buy bread for these people? Well, when I go to a place and I don't know the surroundings, and Jesus wasn't from there, but Philip was from there, it makes sense. Like I would ask somebody the other day, somebody asked me, hey, uh, what's a good mechanic? And so I've, been, I've lived here long enough to where I kind of know who I go to and, and who I prefer. And that's just, just what Jesus did. Hey, man, uh, where are we going to go to buy this food for these people? And, and taking stock of what you've got. It reminds me of that old show, MacGyver. Do you remember MacGyver? MacGyver would find himself in all these little troubles and, and these difficult situations. And he would take a roll of duct tape, a toothbrush, and a piece of string, and he could fix anything. In fact, if MacGyver had been on Gilligan's Island, they would have gotten off in about a week. Because uh, that guy could fix anything. And so here you have this... This situation where you have a lot of people and you have a lot of, there's a lot, a lot of people and they're very, very hungry. That, that's why Baptists invented potlucks. When you get together, you got to eat. And Jesus understood this. And Philip said, um, this was his answer. Um, uh, Philip answered, it would take more than a half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one of them then have a bite. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? He, they, they found what they had. Now, Philip looked to solve the problem with money. Did you see that? Let's look at it one more time. Uh, it would take more than a half a year's wage. There's no way we could pay for this. And sometimes I do that too, and maybe you do as well. I look at a situation and I think to myself, this is a money problem. I had enough money, I could fix this problem. And, and some problems are beyond money. You know, relationally, there are other, I mean, there's stuff, health, you, money can't fix your health sometimes. I mean, ask Steve Jobs. You can't ask Steve Jobs because he's dead. If there was ever a guy that would have enough money to, to buy his way into health, it would have been that guy. Sometimes money isn't the answer, but that's kind of, it seems like where we go first. And that's where Philip went first. And Jesus said, uh, he asked him where, Jesus uh, asked him, hey man, where are we going to do this? And Philip was sort of processing the how, and that's not what Jesus asked him. And then Andrew, well, Andrew says, hey man, we've got a little something, we've got a little something, we don't have much. In fact, when we think of the five barley loaves and two fish, and sometimes I see pictures, in fact, I was trying to find a picture for today, and the barley loaves are kind of big and the fish are kind of big. It probably wasn't anything like that. It would be like five little mini muffins and two little sardines. These people didn't have ample amounts of food. Uh, it just, that's just not what they had. And the truth of the matter is this. God always starts with what I have. So I take my energy or I take my time or my money or my relationships or my talent. Um, God uses what I'll give him. And, and then Jesus says to these guys, you give them something to eat. And I cannot even imagine how that would have felt. Because, humanly speaking, financially speaking, practically speaking, this was an impossible task. And sometimes things look like they're just more than we can deal with. And, and Jesus asked him this uh, because, he, it says in verse 6, he asked this only to test him. And sometimes it will look like it's more than you can handle. And Jesus already knew what he was going to do. I don't think Jesus was kind of figuring this out as he went. I think he already knew. It says he was just asking to test him. 
And we all have these kinds of tests in our lives. It might come in the form of a phone call, that late night phone call. You've had those. Or it might come in the form of a pink slip where you have a job and now you don't have a job. It might come in the form of an unexpected bill. A couple weeks ago, my daughters were visiting and uh, one of their cars was leaking gasoline. And so I took it to my mechanic. And uh, it's always bad when the mechanic, when they call you to tell you what's wrong with the car. And the first thing he said to me was, are you sitting down? That's not going to be good. We all have these kinds of, of events in our lives. What I need to remember, and what you need to remember, is that God knows the answer before I even know the problem. God knows the answer before I even know there is a problem. He's already figured it all out. And so, it's simply a matter of praying, God, this doesn't surprise you. This didn't catch you off guard. You never go, wow, I didn't see that coming. You know, I'm praying to God, Lord, I know this event or this bill or none of this is catching you by surprise or this job loss this doesn't catch you by surprise will you help me know what to do i know you have a solution help me know the solution the third thing is i give god what i have and again uh, andrew said there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish and he's willing to give it to you now here's what i've i kind of really never thought about before until I was looking at this uh, story this time. In a group of 5,000 or 15,000, probably let's, let's go with 15,000. In a group of 15,000 people, it is highly unlikely that one little boy is the only person who thought ahead, who played the movie forward and figured, or his mama did, and figured he needed, might need a lunch. I suspect he's not the only one that bought or brought a lunch. There are probably actually bigger and better lunches out there. He was just the only one. He gets to be the hero because he's the one who gave his lunch to Jesus. There are people with much more resources than us. There are folks who are way more uh, equipped than we are. And yet, this little boy gets to be the hero, and we get to be the hero when we give Jesus what we have. Because here's the truth. The truth is, God uses what I give him. He uses what I give him. And in this miraculous way, he takes this bread and he breaks it. And God has a way of using ordinary things to do extraordinary things. Um, five barley loaves are not extraordinary. And two little sardines, nothing to write home about. He didn't take filet mignon, he didn't take vigissois, he didn't take uh, some other fancy thing. That's the only two I can really think of that are really expensive and I've never had. A lobster. Uh, he didn't take those things. Um, he took simple things, and he did uh, amazing things with it. And, and what, I, what I like about the little boy is he gave willingly. Uh, he gave immediately. He saw a need, and he gave. It's really the best way to give. If you see a need, you give. And as far as we can tell, he gave cheerfully. I mean, Andrew didn't steal that or pry it away from him. I mean, the little boy gave it willingly, immediately, and cheerfully. And God is looking at our attitude. There used to be an old bumper sticker that would say, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll accept from an old grump. And that might be kind of funny, but really, it's our attitude. The Lord wants us to be cheerful givers. In fact, Jesus one time said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is as well. Um, you ever notice that the word miserable has the word miser in it? It's kind of right in the middle, right in the beginning. Um, we're miserable when we're misers when god blesses us we're blessed to be a blessing to others 
And when I hold on to things too tightly and when I'm not generous and when I'm not kind with the things I have, that isn't a reflection of what God, how God treats me. He's generous with grace and he's, uh, he's generous with mercy and he's kind to us. And so we should reflect that to others. Let's look at our verse here. Then Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks to God and he distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. They all Now, in an era, in a time where food is scarce, it is rare that you got to eat all that you wanted. Jesus did this significant thing for these folks. In a time where there wasn't much, Jesus gave them abundantly. I, I love that picture, and I love what it says to me, is that God gives me abundantly. Um, have you ever felt that way? I mean, have you ever taken stock of what God has given you? Because sometimes we just kind of, we go through life and we don't slow down long enough to realize, wow, I've got, I've got a lot of blessings here. I've got a lot of blessings. I've got this and this and this. That's why at night I try to think of five things that I'm thankful for before I go to bed because I, I don't want to be a person who gets to the end of my life and really has never been thankful for anything. And God gives them abundantly. And, and what's interesting is, uh, let, let's look at it one more time. He took the loaves, he gave thanks to God, and then he distributed. He, he gave thanks. It's not like he offered a blessing. In fact, that's so significant that John mentions it again. Uh, some boats from Tiberias, this is just later in the same chapter, landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. After the Lord had given thanks. He wasn't preoccupied with the number of people, although that made the problem grand. And he wasn't preoccupied with the lack of resources. That made the problem uh, grander. And he wasn't um, preoccupied with the impossibility of the situation. And we shouldn't be either. When we look at our situations, we need to understand God is big enough to do anything He wants to do. I love that. That John remembers this. It doesn't say this is where the little boy gave his bread, or this is a little. This is where the people ate every, uh, eating the bread all they wanted, and the Lord gave thanks. This is where the Lord gave thanks. The truth is this. Um, God is able to do more than we can imagine, says it in Scripture. He's able to do more. Finally, once I give him, um, I should expect God to multiply what I give him. Once I give it to him, he multiplies it. Look at what it says in John 6. After everyone was full, again, that's just remarkable. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and that filled 12 baskets, the scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Truth is this. Truth is this. Whatever we give God, He multiplies. There's this principle in Scripture. You will always reap what you sow. Here's what you, one of the things I love in life is to go to a restaurant. I went the other day for our, for our anniversary. Miriam and I went to a restaurant, and um, it was... Uh, uh, it was a sit-down restaurant with um, not plastic utensils. I mean, I went all out. It was great. It was a metal utensil, so you know, and a real plate. Somebody had to wash afterwards. So, I went all in. And they brought this plate out, and Miriam had a plate, and I had a plate, and 
And it was just, it was uh, abundant. Uh, the food was all over. I mean, it was, it was just a lot of food. One of my favorite things in life is to have to need a, um, a box, a take-home box. I, I love that. I got kind of halfway through the meal. I, I, I ate all I could, could stand. I mean, I was really, really full. And, and so the waitress came by, and, and I said, do you mind, can you bring us a couple of boxes? And this is what happened when Jesus fed the 5,000. This little boy got to go home with a take-home box. Um, Twelve baskets full. That's a lot of excess food. God will do more than you uh, and imagine. And, and this principle in life about uh, you, you reap what you sow, well, you do reap what you sow. And you reap more than you sow. And that's, it works with everything. If I'm, if I'm critical, I reap what I sow. But if I'm generous, I reap what I sow. If I'm encouraging, I reap what I sow. Have you, uh, or let me encourage you. I've noticed we, we live in a pretty negative world. And so I've tried to be a little bit better at, at encouraging people and, and giving words of kindness and, and encouragement to folks. Um, you not only reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, which is a principle that you also see in nature. If I plant a kernel of corn, I don't just get one kernel of corn back. I get a stalk of corn with ears of corn with many kernels of corn. And, and so every time I sow something, both positive and negative, I reap what I sow, and I reap more than I sow. One last thing that I find really interesting about this. In the Old Testament, Israel needed food, millions of people. And so Jesus, uh, God, uh, rained down manna. Every day they would have manna, and, and so they would go to bed at night, and they wouldn't have any food, and when they got up in the morning, there would be manna, and it had rained kind of, it was like dew, and, and so the dew contained a food, and they would gather this up, and then it would burn off in the afternoon, and every day this repeated itself other than the Sabbath. And so every day they gathered their food, and, and God rained it down upon them. God could have done the same thing here. Jesus could have just had food rain down. But he chose to use a little boy, and he chose to use his disciples. And when there's a need for blessing today in our world, he chooses to use us to be the distributors of blessing. How do I get God to work in a powerful way in my life? Well, number one, I have to admit I have a need, and then I have to figure out what I have he can work with. And then I need to give that to him, and then I need to expect him to multiply it, because that's what he does when I admit I have a need, and then when I assess what my resources are, and when I give him those resources and ask him to bless them, he will. And he'll give me more than I can ever use. I want to end with a story. Back in 1912, there was a, a shipbuilding company called the White Star Line. They built a, a ship. You've probably heard of it. It's called the Titanic. It was 883 feet long. It was longer than the tallest building of the day. I mean, it was just massive, and it could carry about 1,800 passengers, and it set sail from England to New York, and you know the story. On April 14, 1912, it hit an iceberg, and within two hours, um, about two-thirds of the passengers had perished in the icy waters. I don't want to really talk about the Titanic today. I want to talk about this ship. This is called the SS. Medina. You probably never heard of the SS Medina, but it was built right around the same time. In fact, when 
the Titanic was going down, this ship was being built. It's really not noteworthy. It, it for years and years and years, carried onions from Texas to New York. And then World War II happened, and it was pressed into service and became um, a, a carrier for, it carried soldiers across the ocean. It was hit by torpedoes, and it was hit by bombs, but it never sank. And they were about to scrap it, and it was kind of, they were just going to scrap it for the metal, and someone bought it, and they made an Italian cruise liner out of it, and it was renamed the, uh, the Roma. And for years and years and years, passengers uh, got on board, and it was a cruise ship. And then it was about to be scrapped again, and someone else bought it, and they changed the name to the, to the Dulas. And after 95 years, it was decommissioned after carrying hundreds and thousands of people on board you've never heard of it it really didn't matter because it functioned well and it served well you know about the titanic but you don't know about the medina because it wasn't glamorous but i like the illustration because you don't have to be glamorous for god to use you you don't have to be a superstar for god to use you god uses ordinary things to do extraordinary things. And he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's the kind of God that we serve. And so the final question for the day is, where do you need to see God move powerfully in your life? Because if you have that need, you, you admit it. God, I, I need this. And I'm, I'm going to humble myself and just admit that I have a need and let me analyze what I have to give you and let me give it to you. And then let me sit back and watch you do your thing because you are amazing. And you can make much from nothing or little. You make much from little. And I might not have much to give him, but he can make much from even the little bit that I give him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, this children's story from which we learn adult lessons. Help, him, help us to apply them to our lives. May we be the kind of people that... Um, Understand, we see our need, we, we admit it, we're willing to give you what we have, and then Lord, we ask that you bless those things. Lord, when we need you to move powerfully, help us to apply this story to our lives. We pray it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.